0: Well, we got news on top of news on top of news, and it just don't stop. It never stopped, don't stop, can't stop, won't stop. And I love it. I got so excited thinking about it, I broke out into song rap. You know, I could probably leave you guys right in the dust, man. If I wanted to go on with my music career, watched a little American Idol last night, I'm pretty sure I could do it. Speaking of American Idol, um, I just want you guys to know, I'm broken as a human being right now. I don't know what's going on. I just told you on this very show, I'm pretty sure, recently, I haven't watched American Idol in years because I only watched it for the people that sucked and they don't really show those guys anymore. That was funny. It was entertaining. And then people come on and they sing and it's like, okay, you can sing. Great. Don't care. Move on to the person that can't sing. It's funny. The other thing that not just American Idol, because American Idol, you know, this is becoming a new phenomenon, like with uh, what is America's Got Talent or whatever. It's all about the sob stories all the time. And America's Got Talent has just become America's Got Sob Stories. And it's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm sorry. I mean, they're sad stories. I get it. But it's like, you know, it's like a sad story competition. I just want to see you do a backflip or whatever. I don't know, dude. I'm watching American Idol. And for some reason, I don't like the bad singers. I don't want to sit there. It's uncomfortable and awkward. And it's like, oh, just go away, dude. This is going to be bad. I'm really enjoying the good singers, like a lot. And I'm even enjoying, like, the sob story stuff. What is happening to me? Just tell me if I'm going to be okay. That's all I want to know. If I'm dying, just somebody tell me. I just need the honest truth. Anyways, um, just want you guys to know, you know, if, uh, if you don't hear from me, you'll know why. Yeah, we kind of knew he was going downhill. He started watching American Idol. It was sad, but it was expected. Anyways, there's a lot of news out there. <laughs> I love this. I love all of this. In fact, there's so much, I'm just going to go like in order of, of things that happened just because I'm just going to read off some stuff just to kind of get caught up on NFL news because it's kind of crazy. We'll just do last 24 hours because, you know, I could go back the last week and we could spend an hour and a half doing that. The Panthers re-signed Dante Jackson to a three-year $35 million deal. The Titans re-signed their kicker. The Eagles uh, re-signed Fletcher Cox to a one-year $14 million deal. So we can scratch him off our list if he was on your list. Darius Slay's contract was restructured with the Eagles, so he'll be sticking around there. Patriots restructured Henry Anderson. Falcons re signed Cordero Patterson to a two year, $10.5 million contract. The Raiders added to quarterback Garrett Gilbert, so that's exciting. Bears re signed safety DeAndre Houston Carson, so they're actually keeping somebody. That's great news for the Chicago Bears. I wasn't positive. I thought maybe they were going to shut it down for the year. Um, the Athletics' Vic Tefer reports the Raiders have begun initial extension talks with Derek Carr. It'll actually be interesting to see if that gets done. Um, that was apparently a seemingly a promise given to Devontae Adams. We'll see how far that goes. The Rams re-signed wide receiver Brandon Powell to a one-year contract. That'll uh, be relevant in just a moment. Vikings GM has moved on to uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Steelers organization is just in a downward spiral. The Bills acquired Case Keenum from the Browns in exchange for a F7. The Browns presumably still shopping Baker, so that'll be an interesting development whenever that uh, officially takes hold. Um, then we got very, 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 very big news. The Rams signed Matt Stafford to a four-year, $160 million contract extension. I don't know the real money. I'm sure they won't tell us the real money because they only do that for Aaron Rodgers. But it is in, in its totality a four year, $160 million contract extension because he won a Super Bowl. And that's what happens when you go and win a Super Bowl. So, dude gets to move to LA, soak up the nice weather, and just make massive amounts of money playing for a team that, granted, is probably about to start its descent. But, um, you know, it doesn't matter to Matthew Stafford. He knows how to play for a garbage team. It's just now he's beyond stupid rich doing it. Although he's, he's been rich. I'm happy for him, though. Good for him. Then, obviously stealing the spotlight from Matthew Stafford, the Green Bay Packers re-signed cornerback Razul Douglas to a three-year, $21 million deal. I will continue reading on because it's Packers news. The Packers added Douglas off of Arizona's practice squad a month into the season last year. He was signed after Jair Alexander went down with a shoulder injury and quickly entered a starting role. In a dozen games, Douglas recorded 13 pass defenses and five interceptions, two of which he took to the house. Douglas has had up an up-and-down career, but his 2021 campaign was phenomenal. A three-year deal from Green Bay suggests that the team thinks he will keep playing at a high level moving forward. I'll comment on that in a moment, but let's keep on with the news. Brown signed quarterback Jacoby Brissett to a one-year deal. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports there has been progress on an extension for Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald. So not only did he decide not to retire, apparently the Rams want to keep him around even longer, so that's sad. The Browns restructured Amari Cooper's contract, which I forgot the guy was even on the team. He just got there, but apparently they need to restructure him. I wonder if that has to do with paying $60 billion to their new um, flashy, shiny... We'll ignore the other (laughs) descriptions of their quarterback and just ended there. The Green Bay Packers re-signed tight on Robert Tunyon to a one-year contract. Tunyon broke out with 11 touchdowns on 52 receptions in 2020. He was struggling to repeat his gaudy scoring numbers in 2021 and then suffered a season-ending season ACL tear in Week 8. Tunyon's signing this late into free agency likely means he didn't receive any substantial offers on the open market. The Packers did not have a legitimate pass-catching threat at tight end and emerged... Uh, whatever, doesn't matter. You get the idea. You know who Robert Tunyon is. Continuing on, Jordan Schultz reports there is mutual interest between wide receiver Will Fuller and the Browns. The Browns are just going all in right now, which, you know, I don't exactly know what to think about that. As somebody who just loves the NFL, loves the offseason and loves, loves all this stuff and also having no vested interest in whether or not this is a massive failure. I love this stuff. I understand talking about, about the Browns right now is uh, tempting fate because of their decision to bring on uh, Deshaun Watson. But I will say this, um, I can't I can't mention that every time for all time. I'm not going to be able to put that caveat in there. And for the Falcons, you know, hey, the Falcons had a great game, but I want to remind you, they tried to get Deshaun Watson, and that's a horrible thing. I can't do that. I can't put disclaimers every time I talk about every team. I told you this was going to happen. Teams are going to go out and get him because they know that everybody's going to move on. And if he gets suspended, then we don't have to worry about it. If he doesn't, then we're just going to have to talk about him as a quarterback. We all know the situation. We all have our thoughts and opinions on it, and that just is what it is. I can't put disclaimers on every player who's done horrible things because there's lots of them, including guys that are now no longer in the league. Yeah, but remember that one time they did that one thing. I, that's you know, I'm just I'm just telling you because I know I'm going to be talking about the Browns and Deshaun, and here's his PFF grade, and he had a great day and all that stuff, and I, I just I don't need angry messages. I know. What happened? Cleveland.com's Mary Kay Cabot reports the Browns will, quote, try to re sign Jarvis Landry and Jadavian Clowney. Just go ahead and copy and paste everything I just got done saying. Finally, another massive boondoggle. That's the wrong word, but it felt good. Massive humdinger. There we go. Sticking with the same theme and everything boondoggle and humdinger. I feel like there's a way that you should be able to tie those two words together and just make the ultimate, like, Kentucky freaking sweet word, you know? It's a boondoggle of a humdinger. Tennessee Titans wide receiver Robert Woods from the Rams. Titans, good Lord, I didn't read the first word. Titans acquired Robert Woods from the Rams in exchange for a six-round pick. Now, this is causing a lot of controversy because a six-round pick is nothing. And this happens every single year, and it gets kind of tiring to have to talk about this. But every single year, some people are really, really good at football And they get traded for really, really, really cheap, and everybody gets mad because it should have been us. And granted, to be fair, um, there are roughly 30 teams that are saying that that should have been us, which is everybody except the Rams and Titans. Plus, you have the Rams saying, that's all we got. That's horrible. But again, as I've said 60 billion times, it is him as a player and his talent and his age and the whole package and what he's worth, and then you subtract his contract. Now, I think a lot of people look at this and say, even with the contract, he's worth more, and that's fair, other than the, the only thing I can think is everybody else disagrees. His contract right now, at least as the Titans will be taking it on, assuming these numbers by SpotTrack are correct, is uh, $60.5 million over four years. Now, that does come to $15.125 million. However, it looks like all the guarantees are completely burned up. And any and all remaining guarantees were, were held on to. In other words, it was all tied up in signing bonuses and everything else, which means the Rams have to eat that. So Tennessee, as much as you might say, OK, $15 million a year is at most what he's worth. So I'm not going to offer you very much more. The, the, the benefit, though, to the Titans is you can get rid of them at any any moment. He's only 13.5 million against the cap this year, 13.7 against the cap next year. It doesn't go up uh, beyond that until uh, 2024, 15.7 million, which again, by the time 2024 rolls around, it's about probably equivalent to the 13.5 this year, which is relatively cheap. And then it goes up to 17.5, but he's 33 years old at that point. And again, you can cut him at any, if you want to just do the first two years at 13 million and say, okay, that's enough, you're 31 years old, time to move on. You can do that with zero implications. And by the way, you can trade him. Probably can get a six-round pick back, maybe. I don't know. So I will admit that it seems low. But I, I also, if if nothing else, I get very annoyed with people who will just get mad at the Packers. There are 32 teams in the NFL. The Titans didn't want to offer more. The Packers didn't want to offer more. No other team. And, and by the way, the Packers may have wanted to offer a little bit more, but the Rams just want, didn't want to trade, it to trade it to the Packers, which is entirely possible. But regardless, if this is the steal of the century, why didn't somebody else do it? You think nobody else is on the market for a wide receiver right now? We just heard that the Browns are looking to bring in two wide receivers. One of them that is Jarvis Landry, who was already there. And then one is Will Fuller. And even if you're not necessarily massively on the market, if, if, the, if the narrative is true that Robert Woods is one of the best wide receivers in, in the game, and he's on a cheap contract that you can get out of, and it's only going to cost a sixth-round pick, every single team in the NFL is going to take him. Every single one. So the bottom line is the NFL disagrees with your analysis of Robert Woods on some, on some level. And essentially what the consensus was around the league is that his contract is equal to what he's worth, and he's not really worth any more than that. And to give up additional compensation on top of a contract that we're already saying is a little bit pushing it, that's how the NFL viewed it. And ultimately he went for, you know, I, I don't want to give up more than what this contract is, but I'll give you a little something how about a seventh and like no you're going to do more than that and so it 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 they ended up where they were able to end up negotiating it up to a sixth goodness gracious that sentence is all tangled up just cut the line man there's no untangling that one and in reality again he is i mean he's 29.9 years old so he's let's call him 30 he has 4 years on his deal but you know how long does do you actually expect robert woods to hang in there and beyond that um since he, you know, so he, he wasn't a great football player with Buffalo. He became a pretty good football player when he went to L.A. in 2017. He had three good years in his last two years, at least as far as his grades, there was a regression as far as the stats. He stayed up in 2020. But in terms of stats and grades, um, he was down. And part of that has to do with, I mean, as far as the stats being down, the fact that he was injured, which also plays into these things. 81, 86, 82, and then 71, 75 the last two years. And an injury, and he's thirty, and he's getting fifteen million dollars a year. People don't want to offer up more than that. And by the way, the Rams just got rid of him. Why is a six-round pick really that important to you? Of course, it's not. And what it really has to do with is all the moves that they've made in the past. They got to start cutting and dumping everybody, especially now that they won the Super Bowl. It's it's time to time to get rid of everybody. OBJ's gone, Von Miller is gone, and now they got to start dishing out their their uh, wide receivers for six-round picks and taking on giant dead cap hits like Robert Woods 8.6 million dollars they paid to get a 6th round pick and move on from Robert Woods. So, you know, there's there's two ways to view the Robert Woods thing. One, the entire NFL is wrong and stupid, or two, you're just not viewing this properly. It's up to you how you want to how you want to view that. As far as the Green Bay Packers moves, um Tunyon, I'm excited to get back. Um, As you know, Tunyon is on the list of guys. I mean, there's a pretty extensive list, and it pretty much deals with all the free agents in question that we're talking about. I've talked about Devondre Campbell, Razul Douglas, Tunyon, MVS. They're all in this group, and the the group is guys that Packer fans think are top tier that I think are not. Maybe not entirely fair of Razul, and and, uh, it is true of MVS, though. But I still wanted Tunyon back because he still provides something that we don't really have. And a lot of what I would like to do right now is set a floor. I would love to be able to improve on Robert Tunyon. I don't see Robert Tunyon as the guy, right? Oh, we got him. We're set. And, and that's evidenced by the fact that he had zero market. And no, it's not just because he's injured. If Travis Kelsey was injured, you think nobody would touch him <laughs> as a free agent? He would have so much money being thrown at him. Nobody cares if he's injured. Robert Tunyon is a very, very, very young tight end. He's going to recover from his injury this year. If his if his ceiling was as high as it was, somebody would have thrown money at him. Apparently nobody was throwing money at him. So the pack and even the Packers are like, all right, I'll give you one year. All right? Why? Because even the Packers acknowledge we need something better than Robert Tunyon. And they're right. I, but I like Robert Tunyon. Again, he he still is significantly better than what we've got in other places. And it's, it's, as I've talked about before, we have different styles of tight ends and he's that style. He's that guy. And so we're setting floors in all these different areas. And that's where I would like to, to be able to, uh, that's what I would like to do heading into the draft. And that's what I think the Packers want to do. Also, we need to do that at wide receiver. I think we need to do that at offensive line. I think we are kind of in a desperate spot with offensive line. I don't think we have a very good offensive line right now, especially at the tackle position. We can get by with a couple of the guards that we've got. You know, Josh Myers will play center. We got John Runyon. We got Royce Newman. We'll have David Bakhtiari, hopefully, completely healthy by that point. And at some point, we'll get Elton Jenkins back. We can survive. But the the tackle position is making me a little bit nervous. We do have Yash, but Yash has never taken a single snap at right tackle as a Green Bay Packer. He did play right tackle at Virginia Tech in his final year. He played left tackle 2015, 16, 17, 2018, he was exclusively a right tackle. So it's not as though he's never done it. Um, but it just, you know, it's certainly not ideal. I'm, I'm very happy that we had guys like Yash to be able to uh, backfill and do a, a an adequate job. But, you know, if, if I, I, I don't know, it would be nice to do something. Even if it's just like a, a Dennis Kelly type signing, and I know Dennis Kelly didn't end up doing anything, but just the general, that kind of a signing. Not a massive million kind of crazy, psycho, just something. Something that's like, this guy will, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Otherwise, I think we're relatively good. Wide receiver, offensive tackle, and it's hard to find tackles that are going to be adequate and and are, you know, automatic upgrades over Yash without being super expensive. But uh, corner, we're good. Defensive line as a whole, I think we're good. Linebacker, corner, safety. And by good, again, I don't mean don't need upgrades. I just mean, if we don't end up getting somebody in the draft, we'll survive. Because, I mean, we've done a lot of things to make sure that we come back a serious competitor. And there are no guarantees in the draft as much as, we, oh, just draft a guy. That's not how the draft works. I'm sorry, it's not. You look back a couple years ago when, when the Packers didn't draft like any wide receivers, when that was a, a need and, and everybody freaked out, why didn't the Packers do it? Why didn't They tried, it didn't work out. And they're not going to reach on a wide receiver. Everybody that they liked, Justin Jefferson, was gone, right? Second round, they said they had wide receiver targets. They all went off the board, so they took A.J. Dillon. Third round, they had at least one wide receiver target. He went off the board one pick before the Packers to the Ravens, and so they took Josiah DeGuara. Now, yes, there's other human beings that are wide receivers, but they didn't want them, and so they didn't take them, and that's the same for every position. Now, with all the extra picks, it's likely that somebody will be available, but you don't know. You just don't know. So try to get yourself into a position where at least we can survive if we don't get somebody in the draft. And by the way, fourth, fifth, sixth, might as well say third and beyond is not a guarantee, especially when you're talking about we need a number one wide receiver and a right tackle. Um, You know, if you just need a wide receiver, like if you're looking for an MVS replacement, you could probably get that a little later. But we kind of need, you know, I don't want to say Devontae replacement, but you know what I mean. And by the way, that's why I, that's part of the reason I don't hate the Julio thing. Now, it, it obviously depends on his cost, but I don't hate that just because I just want to raise up that floor. At the very least, we got Julio Jones, and I'll, I'll live with that. Okay, we got Julio, we've got Lazard, we got Cobb, we've got Amari, and of course, we're going to draft somebody, and we'll see how that goes. But at least we have a group. And then hopefully, we we also went out and got a tight end. We've got an upgraded offensive line. I mean, you know. I did say that there are no guarantees, but there are obviously going to be upgrades somewhere on the offense. And look, I mean, Julio had a down year, but it was a one-year flukish down year when he went to a new team. As of 2020, he was still one of the better wide receivers in all of football. Now there's injury issues and all that, but it's entirely possible he just was not really getting acclimated to the whole Tennessee thing. And he can come to Green Bay, and if he can stay healthy, I'm just saying it's possible that he's still got some, uh, some freak in him as a football player. But if it's not Julio, somebody, Jarvis, just somebody that gives us at least a baseline. Give me a top 25 wide receiver. Well, Julio was 29th. Give me a top 32 wide receiver, right? Because then we're talking about somebody that's in the number one conversation. And he was. Julio Jones was 29th. By the way, Odell Beckham was 32nd. As much as we want. Everybody's doing backflips over Odell Beckham being this elite. He was great. He was the best. Greatest signing of all time. He was t- 32nd. Julio was 29th. And yes, DK was was 12th, so he's, you know, he's very good. And Tyler Lockett, by the way, 13th, so should also be in the conversation. If we're going to talk about trade compensation, but anyways, we're not talking about that. The point is, Robert Tunyon gives us just sort of a baseline. He's, he's all we've had the last couple of years anyways, so we have him again, good enough. As for Razul Douglas, it's very similar to the draft in terms of, no matter how much I like or dislike a prospect, when the Packers put their stamp on him, my like of them goes up. And it's not just because of fandom, it's because I trust them. And the the thing that I want to do in the second half of this program, in fact, as soon as I'm done, we'll take a break and we'll do this. I spent yesterday watching highlights, which I know is not the way you scout prospects, but what I said I was going to do this year was get more excited about prospects. And just watching film was not getting me excited because the fact of the matter is most players in football aren't getting you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of the negative more so than you're seeing the positive, right? You can watch a pass rusher and obviously they're losing most of the time. If you watch an offensive tackle, they're probably winning most of the time. So there's that, but it just, it's hard to get like massively excited or harder. You can do it, but it's just, I'm finding myself doing what I didn't want to do, especially with the wide receivers where it's like, I like them, I don't love them. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch one highlight video. I'm going to rip through the, all the first round potential candidates. I didn't make it all the way through, but man, I found a newfound respect and love for these guys. And, and here's the thing, though, because obviously highlights will do that for everybody, even players that aren't very good. But here, here's the exciting thing. When the Packers pick a player in the first round, my mind is going to go to the highlight reel. And the reason that matters is because for every player, they've got their highlight reels and then they've got their low light reels, right? They've got their positives, and the, but then they've got the negatives. When the Packers put their stamp on a guy, they're looking at the highlights and saying, that's the guy I think we're going to get when we move here, and I'm not worried about the negatives. Some of the guys they don't draft, they're looking at the negatives and going, mm, I'm worried about that. The point is, they understand fully what the negatives are, but they believe that those positives will translate and will come here, and we will see that in Green Bay. And I trust their opinion on that. And, and likewise with Devondre Campbell and Razul Douglas. I have zero doubt in my mind that Razul Douglas will regress. Same with Devondre Campbell. The question is how much. The question is to what extent. And when the Packers fight like crazy, and they've been fighting harder for Rizul Douglas than just about anybody else, and it's been somewhat confusing to me, but it it really does demonstrate not only do they like him, but they find him to be a critical piece. The ability to have three really good cornerbacks is unbelievably important to them, and they're fighting tooth and nail to get it. They fought harder for him than Tunyon. They seemingly are fighting harder for him than, than MVS. They're fighting harder for him than any other free agents that we're aware of. We haven't heard any other news, but constantly hearing about trying to get Razul, trying to get Razul, working real hard to get Razul. They were not going to let him go out the door. And so, again, it's just sort of a stamp of approval for me. And I know that's just so, sort of fandom, but it's also just trusting them, trusting the guys, first of all, that, that, that got them last year. They saw something in Razul last year and it came to fruition. So it makes sense. They're like, yeah, no, that's that's what he'll bring here. And he brought it. So why would I say oh, he won't bring it again next year? But I'm, I'm sure they also understand that if you remove the interceptions, which there were five of them, and you don't have to remove all of them, but again, very unlikely he gets five interceptions and his seven pass breakups and his two touchdowns, they believe he was still a very good corner. Now, here is my concern. Um if you look at the games in which he um, he was very boomer bust in terms of his grades, he had a 74 overall grade, right? That was his overall grade. With all the interceptions, all the touchdowns, etc. Here's the other scary thing. He had a 74 overall grade. His best games, 91, 90, and 88. Other than that, he had one game in the 70s. That's it. His other grades for the rest of the season, 69, 68, 61, 55, 54, 54, 51, 47, 43. He actually graded out poorly for about half the season. And so again, my concern is if you remove the interceptions, what is he? Basically, if you remove the games in which he didn't have an interception, the only good game he had was against Washington. 88 overall grade, zero interceptions, but one pass breakup. Um... He also, by the way, against Cleveland, had two interceptions in that game. He ended up with a 54 overall grade. So again, I, you know, he did a fine job, but I, I, I just don't know how far he goes down. But again, the, the positive is that the Packers seem to believe in his abilities, and I'm sure they believe in him beyond just the interceptions. And that doesn't mean his interceptions go to zero, obviously. Hopefully that is, it just has something to do with the fact that he has a knack for it, although, you know... Two years prior to being in Green Bay, he had exactly zero interceptions. And it's not because he didn't play. He played more snaps in Carolina last uh, last year than he did for Green Bay, and the year before that with Philadelphia, 393 compared to 490. So the last two years, he played on average about the same as he played in Green Bay, and he had zero interceptions. He did have a lot of pass breakups, though, so he is around the ball a lot. Um, Philadelphia in year 2018 is the only year he didn't have a ton of pass breakups, but he had three picks that season, so... He does have sort of those ball hawking tendencies in some capacity, so I guess that's a benefit. I don't know. I'm 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 going to choose to trust the Packers. I don't think it was a massive amount of money, so I'm I'm fine with it. Especially now that Devontae's gone and we have money. So again, it's it's really just about. I mean, to be honest, it's really the, the priority for the Packers is running it back. And actually, J.J. had kind of floated a theory to me that I think makes a good amount of sense, not necessarily from a conspiracy theory like this is the only reason they're doing it standpoint. They're bringing guys back that they want to bring back. However, there's an additional added benefit of what they're doing by, first of all, demonstrating that we tried really hard to keep Devontae and it was his choice to walk away. Secondarily, by trying to bring back everybody, we're talking... MVS, Tunyon, but also guys like Devondre Campbell and Razul Douglas, who are guys that their careers were going nowhere. They come here for one year, they're superstars, and then they make massive amounts of money. The appeal overall to those three things and all the different ways, I mean, what they've done for Aaron Rodgers. Everybody's like, dude, just move on. He doesn't want to be here. You can get massive compensation. It's time to move. And they're, they're unwavering. We will never do that for our guys. We will fight for our guys. And we will pay them what they deserve to be here. I have no doubt that the three-year, $50 million uh, conversation is what the Packers want to be put out there. They don't care our perception of how the salary cap health is. What they care about is that they just paid their quarterback a massive amount of money. Because right now in free agency, there are other players looking to go on teams. And as we know, Green Bay is not a massive vacation destination. I live in Wisconsin. I like Wisconsin. I'm a Packer fan. I don't want to be here. I don't. I love what's coming up in in about a month I'm going to love this state. For the next couple months, spring, summer, fall, fantastic winter. I'm telling you. I the second I'm able to become a snowbird, I'm doing it. I'm over it, man. I'm only 35 years old and I am 100% over it. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be able to go outside with like a light flannel in you know January. It's a little chilly. It's like 55 degrees. I don't know. Or or maybe I'm just full on like Floridian, Georgian, South Carolinian, where it's like, I got to get a winter coat because it's, you know, 62. Like, oof, <laughs> little frigid. I want to be that guy so bad. <laughs> but the point is, if you, if you are at a point in your career where you want to make sure you're done right by, and you know there are teams that aren't necessarily going to do that, and, and it works on multiple levels. If you're a guy that hasn't really um, been able to shine, clearly that what the Packers were able to do with two guys is impressive. And, and on top of it, it's not just we made you a star, but we did right by you and paid you. We're not just going to abandon you like, well, now you're too expensive. But even, again, going back to guys like Julio, and, I, and don't, I don't want you to think that I'm like a huge, like, we need to get Julio guy. I'm just, it's just a good example. If you're Julio Jones, you have Aaron Rodgers as a massive appeal. You have a team that's competing, all that stuff that comes with it. But also, there's reason to believe that you'll have a resurgence. There's reason to believe that on top of having a resurgence... If you do well, the Packers are going to say, we will keep you. Because if you come here and you contribute to us, we will do right by you. Now, maybe that's not what any of us really want, to be completely honest. And, and for all I know, uh, Julio is looking for long-term today. Like, I'm not going to do one year, and then, then if I do right, whatever. But regardless, I mean, they have that track record to be able to fall back on. Come here, and we will do right by you. On top of you coming to a great team. You know, 13 wins three years in a row, banging on the door of the Super Bowl. You know we are. Come fill the role, the, the void that, that Devontae left, and we're going to use all this draft capital and the remaining money to continue to build a team that was even better than what we had last year in terms of the supporting cast around wide receiver quarterback. It's it's an appealing proposition. I mean, at the end of the day, the Packers are going to have to offer a deal. to First of all, if it's a trade to a team, but but if it's not, if it's a free agent, you have to offer, you know, you you can't offer bottom barrel money and expect them to come for those reasons. But it's, it's a good tiebreaker. So again, I don't think that's the reason we bring back Razul Douglas. You know, you don't bring back guys you don't want just because hey, we can appeal to some guys that we do want and maybe they'll come here instead of th- that's that's too much, but it is a nice philosophy to have as a team to bring back guys that contribute to you because it adds to I mean it, it also adds in the draft after the 7th round when we're talking about the undrafted free agent period um you know when when agents get multiple calls from multiple teams. And, and this has been something, I remember back in Ted Thompson's era, this was always a thing too, when you look at how many snaps undrafted free agents got, how many players on the Packers roster were undrafted free agents. When teams had multiple calls from multiple teams and Packers are one of them, agents very often said the Packers, you need to go to the Packers. If you want a shot in this league, if you want to play for a team that doesn't care when you were drafted, they just care that you can contribute. And if you can play, they're going to put you in. And if you can play and contribute for their team, they will pay you big time money. The Packers are that team. That's always been somewhat of a philosophy and and they've they've crushed undrafted free agency for that reason. They they get top priority and it's you know it's not everything. Certain positions it's like yeah, you're going to have a hard time competing in Green Bay. You know, if you were a wide receiver back in the day or whatever. Today, wide receiver undrafted free agents would be a great opportunity for you. And there's also just preferences. I w- I would like to be in this hometown or that hometown or whatever the case may be, but um you know, again, the 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 Packers have positioned themselves to be a team that If you want to be a guy where you can put your best foot forward and trust that if you contribute, you'll be taken care of, the Packers have have made themselves known to be that franchise. So extra added benefit there. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break? We'll come back and talk about some draft prospects and what gets me excited about all these guys. I didn't look at everybody. As I said, I skipped to about player 10 or whatever, way down the list because I'm I'm not going to look at the top five guys. It's possible we trade up and get these guys. It just didn't really seem super necessary. So very unreasonable prospects I looked at. That probably won't be available, but um, not all of them. But as always, head over to my Twitter. Check out um, Drew's GoFundMe. We had three recent donations um, from Anonymous, Richard, and Anonymous. So thank you guys very much for your donations. Drew was diagnosed with epilepsy, and he is looking to get a seizure service dog. We're trying to help him out with that. Also, if you head over to the Facebook group, pinned to the top, you'll see a GoFundMe for Jamie and Carter, who are in a pretty terrible accident Thank you very much to uh, Bruce, Richard, and Anonymous for your donations over the last couple days. That is also greatly appreciated. A couple other things. Um, I guess you can call them shout-outs, but not really. Um, Just Jacob does a lot of work for us. I'm not going to get into any of the specifics, but um, he helps run the Instagram and has been a huge supporter of this show in a lot of different ways. Um, He just got some really horrible news, and if you could just help keep him and his family in, in your prayers... Our family also recently just had a near miss. So, you know, the point is stuff can happen out of nowhere and you just don't know when and where and who. And so, uh, again, keep Jacob in your prayers and also just, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind, you know. Hug your kids, brother, sister, mom, dad, etc. Also, on the opposite side of that spectrum, forgot to do it yesterday, but uh, shout out to Violet Elizabeth Patino. My uh, half Mexican lawyer has had his third child and his first daughter. So he is absolutely living his best life right now. He is just sending me all kinds of stuff. By the way, you guys know I'm a big fan of like Florida and warm weather and all that kind of stuff. One other thing that I am absolutely obsessed with is right after you have a kid and you hang out in the hospital and you don't do anything except hang out with your new baby and eat pretty unhealthy hospital food, but it's delicious and they deliver it to you and then just kind of hang out and you know watch TV and stuff. The best times, especially when you got a bunch of kids and it's like grandma's watching the kids and taking care of the house and you have no responsibility and you're just sitting there. For some people, that doesn't sound great. That is just the dream. Your job as dad is to get up, grab the baby and hand the baby to mom. That's it. That's your only responsibility. And granted, it happens every couple hours and you don't get really any sleep, but it's worth it. It's 100% worth it. So he's living that life. He just got home. They just got home. Baby and mom are doing great. And it's not all about Blaine, obviously. I'm just, that's the only perspective I know, aside from the baby part, but I don't recall. That was a long time ago. And now he's sitting in bed playing video games uh, with the baby just sleeping next to him. So, you know, am I jealous? No, I don't care. I don't need paternity leave, which by the way, and I know this is probably dumb anyways, but let's just say some people in their profession, certain professions decided, you know what would be a good idea? 12 weeks of paid paternity leave. Guess when they started that program? A week after my daughter was born. So that's great. Excuse me, a week before. So I missed it is the point. I, I missed it. Anyways, shout out to them. Doing good. Having a great life. And of course, head over to modernfrontier.com. Go ahead and get some meat. Promo code MEATPACKER, one word, all caps. You get $25 off said meat. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. All right, so let's talk about some prospects with some rose-colored glasses on, shall we? And I got to be honest, man. Again, I know some people are looking down their nose at me. I had so much fun yesterday. I had just an absolute... I picked one... And by the way, my son came over about halfway through doing this, and then he started getting jacked up, because I don't think he understands the concept of a highlight reel, because usually when I watch prospects, I'm just watching like game film or whatever, so it's it's a little bit more just like watching football, and okay, there's the guy, and then we watch him, whatever. And he started watching the guy make play after play after play. And so every guy we watched, like, we got to get that guy, right, Dad? We got to get that guy. You think we're going to get that guy? You think if he's available, we're going to pick that guy? So that was fun. But I decided to start with Garrett Wilson. Um, It's not that I've never watched Garrett Wilson, but I haven't put a lot of time into Garrett Wilson because what's the point? Um, He's currently expected to, or on the consensus big board, I should say, he is sitting at ninth overall. His projection is to go 10th to the Jets. So pending any massive fall or massive trade up by the Packers, which to be honest, I'm not sure I'm in favor of either way. There's no way we get Garrett Wilson. Do do I love Garrett? Yes, I do. Um, The only drawback like a lot of these guys is his size. Just, you know, yeah, I can't get over it. It is what it is. But the guy is electrifying. There's no question about it. And I think one of my favorite things is his body control and his hands. Which really, if you want to look at like the top wide receivers, the one thing that they consistently all have in common, it's not how big they are, it's not how fast they are, it's body control. The, the top wide receivers, the Jamar Chases, the CD Lambs, all these guys, it's always body control. And body control isn't just going up and getting the pass and being able to come down with two feet. In fact, Garrett Wilson, most of when I say Garrett Wilson's body control is one of his top assets, it doesn't have a lot to do with that. It's about positioning your body while it's in the air. Right. It's slowing down just enough so that you're boxing out the corner and then jumping right at the right time and contorting your body in just the right way and then getting your hands on the ball and then being able to come down with two feet. It's the whole process of making sure you're you're not because a lot of guys, it's just kind of an awkward thing. You know, they don't know when to slow down, when to speed up, they don't know when to jump, they don't know how to jump, they're kind of falling and twisting and, and their hands are, you know, kinda of, they gotta reach and contort and he just makes it look easy. And it, it, it's not a drastic movement. You know, some guys they'll kind of come to a complete stop and then jump up straight in the air and kind of reach back and grab the ball. You don't see any of that with Garrett Wilson because he just he just slowly increases or decreases his speed just enough to throw off the cornerback, gets his body up in the right spot at the exact right time, and a lot of times that ball just falls right in the perfect spot. And you know, some of that has to go kudos to the quarterback, I suppose. But and then then you know you got just fantastic hands by Garrett Wilson. He's got the late hands that just kind of pop out of nowhere, and he's barely even looking at the ball. He just snags it. It's almost like a video game where it's like, where did the ball go? And he's just running, and the ball just kind of gets absorbed into the, you know, like an old school 90s football game where the ball just kind of goes to the receiver. The receiver never turns around, and it just kind of gets absorbed into the player's body, and he just keeps running. My favorite asset, as much as, you know, I I talk about I like the small, speedy, fast guys or whatever, that's more interesting to me. But my favorite asset for wide receivers are guys that make football look easy. They don't look like they're trying. They don't look like they're, they're trying real hard and focusing real hard on trying to catch the pass. And then now that they got that, they got to collect themselves and turn around and they're not sure what to do once they turn around. This is just easy for them. They know exactly what to do. They know exactly how to handle themselves. They know where their body needs to be, where their hands need to be. They know what to do after the catch. They know that is Garrett Wilson. He's not the most impressive physical specimen I've ever seen. But for if you're looking for a guy that just makes football look easy, Garrett Wilson is a fantastic prospect for that. Next guy I watched was Trayvon Walker. And by the way, Trayvon Walker is the perfect example, and I'm sure most of these guys are. He's the perfect example of, if you're going to do this, don't go watch their tape after. When I watched Trayvon Walker, I said, first of all, he's top five. When you watch Trayvon, go watch Trayvon Walker highlight footage and tell me he's going to make it out of the top five. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Now, if you go back and actually watch his tape, I think I watched him against Alabama, which was a little bit unfair because that was his lowest graded game. And then I watched him against like Arkansas or something. And my opinion of him definitely fell. In fact, it fell pretty significantly because he felt like a one trick pony. But it's one of those things where when when he's at his best, this guy is so scary. His closing speed. I mean, th- there, are, there are two guys on this list that gave me chills. In fact, they're back to back here. They gave me chills that were so intense, your eyes start to water up. Trayvon Walker was the first guy. When he's able to get past his guy, his closing speed is so unbelievably stupid. It's and, and we see that with the the RAS obviously, but it's it's one of those things where it almost seems fake. Again, like a game a video game glitch. You know, he's he's got five, six yards to close, and it's like he took two steps and he not only closed, but he has the the, the, the speed and everything else to be able to lunge. You know how when when you have somebody sprinting away from you, you can still run lunge, and, lunge and, and drive through them? So, I mean, if, if you want to just get jacked up on a highlight reel, I don't know if you can do better than Trayvon Walker. Trayvon, at his best, is just stupid. Now, again, go watch his regular game film, turn on, you know, go flip over to PFF, look at his stats, look at his grades. It seems as though it's sort of a Rashawn Gary kind of a situation where you're betting on the the upside. You're looking at his physical tools and saying, we, we, we put a couple tools in his toolbox. And this guy's going to be one of the greatest pass rushers of all time. But he's got some stuff to work on. And and just from what I saw, he got stuck. You know, he doesn't always, you know, he doesn't always win. It doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't get around the guy in front of you, right? So that was kind of the issue with Trayvon Walker. But the reason he's in the nearly top 10, conver- well, there's, there's a couple ways you can look at it. The, the reason he's in, in, in nearly the top 10 conversation, if he is there, is because of his, those, those physical tools and upside. But even with those physical tools and upside, the reason he's not a lock number one overall pick or top five or even a lock top ten is because of the downside. So, but again, if you just want to get jacked up and fall in love with the guy, go watch his highlights because it's stupid. Then, then the guy that I've never even thought of. I keep seeing his name. He's obviously really high up, so he must be pretty good. But I just I never even thought of it. And by the way, nobody is. You know who he's who he's projected to go to? Nobody. Because nobody puts him. I mean, some people put him somewhere in the mock drafts and stuff, but he's just not the most popular guy out there, but Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher out of Florida State, was the second guy that gave me chills like you wouldn't believe. And this is my kind of guy. Similar to what I've said about linebackers and stuff, the raw power that Jermaine Johnson has is so stupid. If you remember a couple years ago, my favorite prospect, the guy that got me super jacked up, was a man by the name of Raekwon Davis. I made multiple videos about Raekwon, just being stupid, just getting jacked up, yelling, screaming, flailing my arms around about Raekwon, the raw power of Raquan. You know, he'd throw an offensive lineman, he'd bring you down with his one big bare paw hand. That's Jermaine Johnson just slipped out to the edge rusher position. The unbelievable, stupid raw power of Jermaine Johnson. I watched him throw an offensive tackle back on his head and was able to bring down, I mean, with force, with one hand, a quarterback. The, the, The amount of power a person has to be able to have to put one hand on a person's body and launch them into the ground is insane. And that's what I watched him do. And you got to factor in, you know, you, you, you think about a lot of these big guys and it's like, well, you know, he's, he's big and he's strong, so he's probably can't move all that well. He's got a 9.57 RAS. Now, granted, he didn't do any of his agility stuff, which is incredibly important for an edge rusher, but he's got a 4.5840. He's got a 10 foot 5 inch broad jump. So he's got the explosion. He's 6 foot 5. He's got um, height. He's got plenty of speed. His only drawback on his RAS is his weight, 254, but how is that a drawback when power is your whole thing? Right? The problem with these fast, small guys is that they're, they're not super big and strong. No, this guy is a freak. He's so powerful. It's crazy. And then you go over to PFF, and you see he's got an 81 overall grade. You see he's got 46 pressures on 415 attempts and 14 sacks. And you go, he checks every box. And by the way, PFF had him listed at 262, so maybe he cut down a little bit to be able to run fast. His natural uh, weight is probably a little bit more so. And, and I'm sure if the Packers drafted him, which he may not even be available, probably won't be available, but um, he he probably end up putting a little bit of weight back on. But you've got just raw power. You've got a great pass rusher. You've got a guy that obviously has the ability to set an edge. You've got athleticism for days, and he checks all the PFF boxes in terms of stats and grades. I mean, the, the 46 on 415 is not like mind blowing. It's 11%, and in college, 11% is not massively impressive. But it's also worth noting, he never played a game without a pressure, not one. That's impressive. In fact, he never played a game without at least two pressures. And there's only three games where he didn't get a single sack. And in two of those three games, he had more than two pressures. So two pressures, no sacks, only happened one time, and that was his lowest production game in terms of a pass rusher. That was against UMass. So, yeah, I'm I'm a... massive, massive Jermaine Johnson fan. Now, again, maybe you watch some of his other tape and it's not as impressive, but I kind of doubt it. Because again, you look at his stats and you can turn on any game and you're going to get a pile of pressures and probably at least one sack. And as a run defender, his lowest grade as a run defender is a 60.8. Average is the worst he's ever done at uh, as a run defender. He's got an 80 overall grade. Pass rush, 76 overall grade. Tackling, 75 overall grade. Overall, 81.1. Even in coverage, 72.5. You know, he did it eight times, but the point is just he checks every single box. So I went from never even considered looking at him, partially because he's supposedly going to be gone sooner, and partially because I just, I don't know, nobody ever talked about the guy, so why do I care? But um, yeah, I yes, that potential draft crush I don't want to officially assign draft crush until I watch, you know, actual film and I'm scared to do it because I like the guy so much. I don't want to dislike him, but I'm a big fan. Um, Jordan Davis, one of the more popular prospects. I know Sam Holman has been pumping him up for a real long time. Um, Jordan Davis is not a big highlight reel guy. The the benefit, but also the drawback of Jordan Davis is you can watch his highlight reels or you can just watch his game tape, and it's pretty much the same thing. Because at his peak, he's a guy that takes on a double team, pushes that double team into the running back, and tackles all three of them. That's also just his game tape, though. (laughs) So... (laughs) You know, you, you, can, you can watch either and get kind of the same picture. There is that athleticism. You do see him chase people down, which is pretty, pretty wild and pretty crazy. And yeah, if he can push past a guy, his closing speed is going to be pretty wild. No question about it. Again, Jordan Davis is the, according to um, the RAS scores, like official scores, because he got a 10 out of 10, but there's, you know, gradations to that. Second freakiest athlete ever to run at the combine behind only Calvin Johnson. So that obviously counts for something. So um, he, he's he's a lot of fun. He's, he's another guy that um, I'm sure is going to be a better pass rusher than I'm giving him credit for, especially you get him in the right system with somebody next to him or whatever where, you know, he's the, the great thing about Jordan Davis is there is no question about double teaming Jordan Davis, right? It's not a matter of, well, maybe we should double Rashawn or maybe we should double Kenny. And that's assuming the defensive coordinator even allows you to do that and doesn't just put five guys up there, in which case you are in serious trouble. But there's just no question. You will put two people on Jordan Davis because you have to. And it kind of doesn't matter. So I'm not as high on him as a as a pass rusher, but as a run defender, especially for a team like the Packers that has always struggled with that. He's unmovable. Generally speaking, when you watch Jordan Davis, they put two guys on him, and those those two offensive linemen take about three steps or three they, they go back about three to four inches. It's not much. It's usually a stalemate, but Jordan Davis wins a little bit against two guys, and I mean consistently. So um I know there's more to it than that, and I know he's he's more than just a a big giant you know, double team eater. But that really is, in my opinion, his biggest asset. He's a massive, violent human being that will not be moved. And, and he has great ability to, you know, shed in the right direction. You know, he's got two guys and he will just throw, you know, because usually you kind of sandwich, right? So it's, it's like, okay, we can't really move you. But as long as you can't move, you know, the, the running back can go to the left or right of us. But he will just manhandle the person. Let's say, you know, if the running back runs to his right, he will manhandle the, you know, guard to his right. And be able to bring the the running back down and completely stonewall him, by the way. he's not getting another inch. so I like Jordan Davis, and his upside is is just stupid. but again, you can't really go watch his highlight reel and and just get the same kind of thing you can from a guy like Trayvon Walker. So maybe it would be better to just watch his 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 game film. Uh, David Ajabo, which shout out to David Ajabo, he's next on the list at 14 overall, uh, ended up tearing his Achilles. Should get a full recovery, but I do expect that to drop him at least a little bit. Um, I will say David Ajabo did not get me as excited as guys like Trayvon or Jermaine Johnson. Um, he's kind of in between a little bit. He's not as much of a... It's kind of unfair to call Trayvon a one-trick pony, but he's not just a a speed guy, but he doesn't have the power of Jermaine Johnson either. The the My favorite thing about Ajabo is the the toolbox, especially his spin move. He's got a wicked spin move, and it was fun to watch him be able to do that. And And because he has these different tools... You know, it, it keeps offensive tackles on their heels a little bit. You gotta watch out for that. And that opens up counters, right? If I step this way and you think I'm gonna do a spin and that causes you to step in and then you, you know, kind of jump out and swipe and I'm out of position because I thought you were gonna cut in with your spin move. You know what I mean? You you layer these things and it, it gives you that 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 ability. He's also got like a lot of these guys, which is great, that um the hunt instinct, which is one of my favorite things in a pass rusher and that and that is and I think um Mike Patton had a term for this. It was it was a uh, BK second word is kitty. You can figure out what the first word is. One of the weirdest terms ever. But it's sort of when, when they get their eyes on the quarterback, they get hungry. And if they, for one second, feel like they're about to beat this, this tackle or this guard or whoever they're up against, they get this second gear kicked in and they get locked in. And it's like watching a lion hunt down his prey. Rashawn Gary has it. Clay Matthews had it. It's just this sort of, it's it's a psychotic predator instinct that kicks in. And they just want it so bad, they're going to go get him. And so I, I do like that. I like Ojabo's motor, which is an overused term, but really it just means he doesn't quit. And and the thing with, with guys like that is they look like they're losing all the time. If you watch Ojabo's highlights, a lot of these sacks and strips and all that kind of stuff, which by the way, he has a million strips. He goes for the ball and gets it a lot. But a lot of these highlights you watch it and you go, oh, he lost. And even if the sack comes because, you know, the quarterback had to pull the ball down for a half a second before he could find somebody else, the point is you don't give up. You just keep grinding and grinding and grinding and keep bending and bending and bending that curve around the corner. And, you know, if that quarterback doesn't get the ball out immediately, he gets there. And whereas in my mind, I've already given up on him. He hasn't. And he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and and he gets there. So he's very tenacious, and I like that. You know, he doesn't have, again, the top end of the other guys that I really like. He didn't give me chills, but I like Ajabo. Would I trade up for him? No. Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, yes. Ajabo, probably not. If he fell, would I be happy with it? I'd be fine with it, sure. Um, I did not watch Kenny Pickett or Tyler Linderbaum. I don't really see the necessity for that. Uh, Linderbaum is a freak, but we already have a center and I don't think we would kick him to guard. And I also don't think we would trade up for a center. So I just kind of left that be. Kenny Pickett is a quarterback, so I don't care as much. Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa. The obvious drawback is the fact that he plays for Northern Iowa, but this dude is just a violent bully. His highlight reel is nothing more than him finish. I mean, he, he just, he's got a finishing move, which is basically when the play is over, he picks a guy up and slams him on his skull and then plops on top of him. He's mean, dude, and I kind of dig it. Trevor Penning is a mean, violent human being, and he's he's super strong. He's super powerful. When he goes up and takes on linebackers, there was one play in particular that I watched, and I swear, there was a linebacker, I think, coming on a blitz. You would have thought he got punched. It it looked like a movie when a guy comes running in and somebody just cold cocks him in the jaw and he goes flying backwards. That's kind of what it looked like, but all it was was Penning just stuck his arm out and hit him in the chest, but he went dead flat on his back. So he is a big... Powerful, very mean, vicious, violent human being, and I super dig it. And uh, at six foot seven, three twenty one, he just kind of envelops people. It kind of reminds me of a couple of the other guys like um, Evan Neal. They're just so massive. You know, if they can square up their body to an edge rusher, there's almost nothing you can do because if you try to get around them, I mean, you have so much ground to cover just to get around them. Plus, they got super long arms. You got to beat them early because these guys, if they can square up with you and just kind of get let you get inside of their body. It just, they just suck you in. They're like a black hole. There's there's nothing you can do. They can just bear hug you to death. I mean, technically that's a penalty, but I mean, that's just kind of what it looks like. You're just enveloped by these people. And so, you know, I mean, PFF is more or less useless because again, it's Northern Iowa, real low competition, but 97 overall grade, 99.9 run blocking compared to 87 pass blocking, which again makes sense because he's such a violent psychotic human being, and I, again, I dig it. The the biggest issue is he's pretty much only ever played left tackle. He does have 96 snaps at right guard and 9 snaps at right tackle. Um, according to a lot of offensive linemen, it's not as easy as just switching and, and that's it. I mean, you have to kind of mirror everything you were doing. Every single movement, every single step. And, and, and really, if you look at Trevor Penning, too, 2018-65 overall grade, 2019-62 overall grade, 2020-71 overall grade, and 2021-97, he just got it. He's been working and honing and trying to get down to a science being a left tackle, trying to get that down. And to switch him, I don't know that it's just automatic. I mean, he'll get it, but it um, might be a little bit tough. So those are my biggest concerns. What happens when you transfer him from left to right and then transfer him from northern Iowa to the NFL? But just in terms of watching his highlights, I mean, I, you, you can't not love the guy. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. George Karloftis, very similar to me to David Ojabo in terms of how much I like the guy. Um, I didn't fall in love with Karloftis. And, and part of the problem is probably Trayvon Walker and Jermaine Johnson just kind of set a real unrealistic expectation, especially when you're talking about highlight reels. But the only thing I could think with George is he kind of reminded me of Clay. Again, just a, a super tenacious, doesn't quit, hunt mentality type of guy. And surprising power for his size. I mean, he's, he's not small, but you know, 6'3", 266 is what he weighed in at, which, I mean, 266 is relatively heavy, especially at 6'3". But you know, he's not the biggest human being in the world. He doesn't look very big. His stature isn't really super imposing when you watch him play. But he plays pretty strong, man. And maybe it's because he's kind of shorter, but still 266. He can kind of get under you and lift you up and push you back. Um, I wouldn't say that was like his massive strength, but it was it was a, a pleasant surprise to see the strength that he had. But he, he just kind of has, and, and he hits, viol- I mean, he's got a hit stick, which is cool too. And it kind of reminds me of Clay. Again, he was kind of a smaller-ish guy. But he was mean. I mean, he really was. I mean, that was an underrated aspect to Clay Matthews is he was violent and he was mean. My favorite Clay Matthews move is when he sacked guys, he generally went for the head, which again, you got that lion hunt instinct thing. He jumped on guys' heads and his knees would oftentimes just sort of randomly drift up also toward the head. It's like he would envelop your skull and then knee you in the face. And that would be what Clay Matthews would call a sack. But I mean, mean, Clay Matthews is the ultimate hunt predator. When he got past that tackle, and he got stuck a lot. I mean, he did. He was a smaller guy, and if his move didn't work, I mean, those tackles were, you know, hundreds of, you know, 100 pounds heavier. It might be a slight exaggeration, but 100 pounds heavier and, you know, three, four inches tall. Just, and again, enveloped him. But if he got around the guy and he got a clear path to that quarterback, that quarterback was dead. And and it was just in his, in his mind, I'm going to hurt you. And I know in today's NFL, that's not seen as a good thing, but I'm going to say right here, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not talking about like in Dominic and Sue, you stomp his knees or, or, you know, twist his ankle or anything super stupid, but if you got a clear shot at the quarterback, you hit him and you hit him as hard as you possibly can. I mean, make it clean, but you hit him right in the stomach or right in the back if he's running away and you bring him down and you bring him down hard. And that's Loftus, And I like that. Uh, Drake London, and it's, it's tough because Traylon Burks is also on here, but the only thing I can think when I'm watching Drake London is this is the um, A.J. Dillon of wide receivers. And again, Traylon Burks is built more like A.J. Dillon, but if you watch the highlights and compare them, Drake London is the guy that refuses to go down. Drake London is the guy that's going to go head-to-head with somebody and run right through a guy. He's going to run through. I mean, it's just, it's broken tackle after broken tackle after broken tackle after broken tackle on top of 50-50 ball after 50-50 ball after 50-50 ball. Um, the, the, The biggest thing I like about Drake, though, is I generally don't like the Drake Londons. I don't like the guys that struggle with separation but go up and catch passes. They can catch the 50-50 balls and whatnot. But the cool thing about Drake is he actually moves incredibly well for his size. You watch him jump up and catch a pass and come down on two feet and how quickly he can turn his body and get north and south and get to top speed, it's pretty impressive. Usually these guys are so, it's like a giraffe running, you know? Like, I caught the pass, now someone please tackle me so I don't have to figure out how to turn around and run and do all this kind of stuff. You know, just just wrap me up and I'll push for another two yards or whatever. He's actually, He actually moves really well, and that leads me to believe that he can be more than just a go-up-and-get-it kind of guy. And at the very least, he's a run-after-the-catch type of guy. So you throw him a wide receiver screen, he's going to get four yards, and he's going to push ahead for five, which again is why I said he's the A.J. Dillon of wide receivers. But he also has an element of shiftiness. He's got a good amount of speed, which we haven't seen because we didn't... If he kills it at the pro day, well, then he's probably out of our reach. But And actually, he's not even going to do the pro day. I think he's doing a private workout prior to the draft, so we won't even get an answer at the pro day because he had an injury, so he wants to let it heal longer, but he still wants to be able to run and stuff. But um, I do like Drake London. Like a lot of these guys, there are hesitations. Um, and with all the wide receivers, there are questions about, I, I worry about a couple elements. There's no one guy that is like, this guy's perfect. Even Garrett, the size throws me a little bit. And with Drake, the separation kind of throws me. But do I really, really like Drake London? Would I do backflips if we drafted him at 22 or even especially at 28? Yes, I would. Uh, after that is Devin Lloyd. This is the first guy that I watched with my son. And um, I haven't watched any of the linebackers so far until yesterday. Because, again, I've kind of just given up on the idea that the Packers are draft one. But you got two picks in the first. Whatever the the possibility was before, just doubled. If it was 1%, it became 2%. So we'll see how it goes. But um, the two things that jumped out to me about Devin Lloyd... Number one is versatility. He showed to be impressive in coverage, against the run, and as a pass rusher. He's got that Swiss Army knife. And everybody's asked to do all those things, but there's two varying um, degrees of ability. And especially when you consider the fact that we've already got a guy that is going to be just sort of your standard linebacker, which doesn't... I mean, he, Devondre Campbell's going to have to do a little bit of everything. You have to cover, you have to stop the run, and once in a while we're going to bring down a blitz. But if you have someone that can kind of excel in those tertiary things. It's not a negative. It's just going to help Devondre do what Devondre does best, which is focus on being a linebacker. The other thing I really liked about him, um, it sounds silly, but hand-eye coordination. If I had to pick an attribute that I really liked, and I've talked about a few times with linebackers, it's mental processing. Because again, as I've said, speed has two components. There's your, your top speed when you get up to top speed, and there's also the speed to get up to top speed. But there's also the processing time. If it takes you a couple seconds to recognize what the play is, and then you take off at top speed, you're still slow. And the problem, I think, sometimes with 40 time, especially when you're talking linebackers and short spaces and things like that, you're not talking about like corners and wide receivers over 40 yards. You're talking about short spaces is with a 40 time, everybody starts at the same time. They all start at zero. And then we gauge how fast you can get over, you know, 40 yards. But as an actual linebacker, there's another component to that. When the ball is snapped... How long before you're running in the correct direction? Whether that's to fill the gap in front of you, whether that's to start laterally down the sideline because you 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 sniff out a run play, or you start dropping into coverage because you recognize it's play action. Because if again, if you got a two-second head start, I don't care if you run a 4-6 compared to a 4-4, four four, you're going to get there first. And so although I didn't necessarily see that with Devin Lloyd, the, the hand-eye coordination lends me to believe that he's got some quick mental processing. And and the, the weird reason I say that is go look at all the interceptions he got. A lot of guys get a lot of interceptions, and and they end up falling right into their arm. And you look at that, and you just kind of go, you got super lucky this year. And that's going to fall off. Every single one of David Lloyd's interceptions are jaw-dropping. How in the world did he catch that type of, of things? And it has to do with awareness and very quickly realizing this is what's happening. This is where my body needs to be. This is where my hands need to be. I'm talking jumping up at the line of scrimmage and not just batting a pass, but being able to snag it out of the air. I'm talking jumping routes. Why? Because you're able to mentally process what's about to happen. He's going to throw the ball here, so I need to start sprinting and jump the route and catch the ball and run it in for a touchdown. So, I mean, you could you could call that, well, he's really good in coverage, but it's not so much really good in coverage because there's a lot more to coverage than being able to get interceptions. It's a minor facet, but what I did get from his interceptions is I like the mental processing aspect of his game. I'd have to watch a little bit more because the most important thing, again, is how quickly before he takes, and, and the other part of the reason is it's not just how fast you can get to the, to the edge. If you're slow in recognizing the play, you've got offensive linemen that are trying to get up to your level and wall you off. And having the speed, which again, you can use that in any way that I described it, any version of speed. If you have the speed to get out past those offensive linemen so they can't cut you off, so that you can go make a play, that makes you a good linebacker. If you're slow with your mental processing or slow with your general speed and offensive linemen are consistently getting up to the next level and cutting you off so that you can't get there, that's a problem. So I would want to see that. I don't really know. Again, I just watched one highlight. and general, just running plays are not going to make a ton of highlights unless it's just he just lit somebody up. Instead, you get a bunch of interceptions and stuff. So I do want to go back and watch more Devin Lloyd, but I like Devin Lloyd. And again, he doesn't really seem very physically imposing. If you look at his arms, he looks like he's got relatively, it might have just been the tape. I think that was somewhat of an illusion, made his arms look skinnier. But he's also got a little bit of a hit stick to him. He laid the wood to a couple guys. That kind of surprised me. You just didn't see it coming, but but he's got a little bit of that. So it's it's sort of, a, I want to put an asterisk there. I really like it. And I But I also think, unlike a lot of these guys, I think if I watch his tape, I'll either like him more or a lot less. But it's entirely possible that it's more because there's a lot of, especially with linebackers, stuff that are not highlight real things that I could end up really liking, which I think is true of things like running back, too. You know, a lot of highlights for running backs are he ran through a wide open hole and went for an eighty-yard touchdown. Like, that's not impressive. I fell in love with guys like Christian McCaffrey in college because of what he did making six guys miss on that, you know, seven-yard rush. Um, Jamison Williams is tough because Jamison Williams' highlights are just... 50 yard touchdown passes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it really doesn't give you a a great picture. And the reason it doesn't get me as excited as it does with some of these other guys is, first of all, speed is so hard to gauge, especially way down the field. I mean, you'll have guys like Drake London running wide open down the field. Is it, but why are they so wide open down the field? Is it the speed? Was it a great route? Is the corner just really slow? Was it a blown assignment? There's a lot of reasons a guy can be open down the field. And so you see that many deep passes to Jamison Williams, and you assume he has some speed, and that's cool. But it's just hard for me to mentally get to the point where I understand if he comes into the NFL, this is what he's going to look like. You know, like Tyreek Hill blows by people. If there's anything I could ask the film guys, it would be, tell me how to gauge speed. The only thing I can think is like how quickly you get five yards down the field and trying to gauge in your head five, ten yards or whatever 10 yards is tough too because you start doing stutter steps and everything else. but when you're in full stride just trying to gauge, okay, there's five, there's five, there's five and counting it out and trying to because the, the real hard part about it is big fast guys look slow and fall some f- fall small fast guys look really fast. To this day, I think the fastest human being on planet earth is Darren Sproles. Because when his move when he moves fast, his feet are kicking a million miles a second. Because he doesn't have long legs. But you look at a guy like Drake London and he's flying past people, but he's again like a giraffe. His 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 Darren Sproles' footsteps are like and you see the fast feet and it's like dang that guy's fast. Drake London is like do 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 but he's just flying by people. So you've got to have some other way of gauging speed other than how it appears because again I'm I'm watching those legs barely kicking I'm like this dude ain't fast at all but he's just sailing past people but you can't use the defenders either because are they are those defenders running four threes or four sevens I don't know so it's just it's hard to get excited about it I mean it's, you know it's it's touchdown 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 it's like okay cool but as far as highlights go there, there's got to be so and, and deep threats in general I think that's where I struggle because I just don't know how to gauge that. Because there's so many fast guys that come into the NFL and do nothing. If it was so easy to just have 4-3 speed and run past a cornerback and then be wide open and catch passes and get touchdowns, there would be like 30 of those guys right now. But in reality, of the 30s that are running in the 4-3s, like two of them are, are quality wide receivers, and the rest just don't materialize into much of anything. And instead, you got guys like DeAndre Hopkins and guys like uh, Devontae Adams and a bunch of guys that are like 6'1", 200 pounds running in the 4-4s, four 4-5s, four just crushing the NFL. So I'm struggling to, I mean, I I get the vision. I understand speed, right? I I understand that that's beneficial, but I also am looking at it and saying, you need to be more than that. You know, you can't just be an upgraded version of MVS if I'm taking you at pick 22. There's no way. I mean, if, if we're just looking for an upgraded version of MVS, you wait until the third round. First, second round, you have to be a... You know, I want the hands, I want the routes, I want the body control, I want all of it. You need to be able to execute the entire playbook. If your whole thing is you run in a straight line real fast, and you get highlight real 40-yard touchdowns like, you know, once every four weeks like MVS, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. So um, I'm not anti jamison Williams in any way. I'm just saying that you watch the highlights and it's like, all right, there's another 50-yard touchdown, there's a 40-yard touchdown, there's a 70-yard touchdown. It just doesn't do much for me. Chris Olave, on the other hand, um, interestingly enough, I think, in a way, he doesn't have the the high-end body control type stuff like Garrett Wilson, but I think the after-the-catch stuff is what I really like about Olave. He's got clean routes, he's got speed, he's got pretty good hands. Again, it's the hands and the body control I think he has on, or, or Garrett Wilson has on him, but he's so shifty. I really like, so he's, he's got some, you know, the shiftiness is used in his routes, which is great, and he gets great separation, which I love. But it's also that when he gets the ball in his hand, I mean, he's kind of got that punt returner mentality to him. By the way, Jamison Williams, the the one thing that did get me really excited, special teams. But again, first round, I'm not putting a first round pick on special teams. Maybe as a rookie, but that's not a long-term plan. The plan is... You end up being so good that we wouldn't dare put you on special teams. So what's the point? It's like Randall Cobb. I mean, when he became super valuable to our team, we took him off special teams. We're not going to risk getting him hurt for, to do kick returns for us. So I'm not looking first round for special teams. But anyways, Chris Olave with sort of that punt returner mentality, just the super shifty in, in tight spaces, getting those extra 10, 15 yards, not like Drake London pushing people, but just scooting by people with speed, but also with his shiftiness. So I really do like Chris Olave. I know it sounds like I don't. Um, I like all of these guys. I like Garrett Wilson. I like Drake London. I like Jamison Williams. I like Chris Olave. I like Traylon Burks. I just, I struggle with, like, if we're saying at pick 22, I cringe a little bit at all of them for different reasons. But I also get excited for all of them because, again, it's the Packers saying, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the fact that Olave is a little bit light. That doesn't matter. We think he can be the next great number one wide receiver. Like, All right, you say so. I got it, man. I'm watching nothing but highlights from this guy from now on. Because that upside is just what you're seeing in him. And that's all I want to see in him. So I like him. I, I I just worry about his size. I worry about the physicality, his ability. You know, if you press up on Chris Olave, I mean, if some of these guys are, they're kind of tinier guys. And again, you get into the NFL with bigger physic. you know, everybody's fast. All these corners are fast. So your speed doesn't scare anybody. But now you got guys that are like six foot one, 210 pounds, and they can run with you. And they're just going to smack you right at the line. And the whole route's messed up because you tried to run past him and he just knocked you flat on your back. And you're just getting out-muscled out there, that becomes a problem because this whole offense is based on timing. And if you can't get off the line and, and and run your route, and you're just getting bullied out there at 185, 188 pounds, whatever you are, that's my biggest concern for the for the Garrett Wilsons, for the Chris Olaves, for the even maybe Jamison Williams. These are all long, lanky, skinny guys. But that brings us to Traylon Burks. And again, my, my concern with Traylon is just I wonder if he's a little bit gadgety. Now, Debo is the gold standard. Look, there's a guy that's quote-unquote gadgety that's clearly a number one, one of the top wide receivers in football, but there's also been five, six, seven, there's, there's two, three, four of these Traylon Burks type guys every single draft class, and outside of Debo, none of them have materialized to the hype that they had when they were in college, right? None of them have become Debo. And so I like Traylon Burks. It's, it's very similar to Drake London. Um, I don't necessarily think he's, he doesn't show that power, although he clearly has it, but I also think he's kind of underrated in his ability to run routes, but also have that punt return mentality as well. When you look at these um, wide receiver screens, you don't see Traylon Burks grab it and then just smack the first guy in front of him. I mean, he, he takes great angles, runs where he needs to go, and has surprising speed, which I know he didn't do himself any favors with a 4-5-5 five, five at the combine, which again, Devontae has 4-5-5 five, five and he's fine, but I think people expect it faster. He decided not to run a 40 at the Arkansas Pro Day, which leads me to believe he doesn't expect to run any faster than his 4.55, but still, I mean, at at his size, a 4.55 is not a problem. It's not that slow for a guy that's as big as he is. I mean, 225 pounds, he's a massive human being, but the point is he's not just a bowling ball. He's not just a running back that you're putting out there, but he kind of is that. He kind of is and I said this about Drake London, he kind of is A.J. Dillon. And one of the best things about A.J. Dillon is you throw out a screen pass and you've got this massive 225-pound human being that's just going to be able to bulldoze cornerbacks. Well, that's Traylon Burks, except it's not like a gadgety thing to put him out wide because that's literally his job. And I think you have a team with Mercedes Lewis, with Robert Tunyon, with Alan Lazard, with A.J. Dillon a team that is clearly sending a signal that we will be more physical. It's one of those things where if they take Drake London or Traylon Burks, it's, it's, it's sort of a pick that you just throw your hands up and go, well, duh, we should have seen that coming. We are just going to out-physical and out-muscle everybody. And to be completely honest, if we end up taking, for example, Trevor Penning and then Traylon Burks, which maybe isn't even possible, but if it is, you look at it and go, this, is, this, is, this makes perfect sense. We just drafted a tackle that is a physical mauler. That excels, that is a great pass blocker, but really excels as a run blocker. Is violent, mean, physical, and punishing. And then we got a 225 pound wide receiver to add to our unbelievably physical offense. It really does just fit. The question is, is he good enough to be taken that high? And that is what I don't exactly know the answer to. But anyways, that's as far as I got. I, next up, um, and I'm probably not going to do corners because of you know we just brought back another guy. So I'll skip Trent McDuffie and Andrew Booth, but Nicobe Dean, Kenyon Green. Um, I did watch Zion Johnson a little bit. Kind of hard because there isn't much to do. I'll have to go into my little database and actual, actually watch actual film of Zion Johnson, which isn't as exciting, but it is what it is. Uh, Devontae Wyatt may watch Matt Corral just because I can. Daxton Hill, and that would be it for current first-round prospects. I may add in Bernard Raymond and a few others, but that will be the goal for today. Thank you all for joining me, for playing along, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.